Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you for joining me, tuning in. On today's podcast, we're going on a little trip. Here we are in the midst of winter, the icy cold grips in the upper Midwest of Minnesota. It is quite cold, actually, which is great because we're, we're making ice. Uh, people are jonesing to get up on Mille Lacs, and a couple of resorts are, well, kind of sort of letting wheelhouses and trucks out um i don't know i don't want to get into that so i'm not going to get into that in this one but yeah so people are really wanting to get out anyways instead of talking about more cold stuff and wintertime action i'm going to take you to where it's the summertime the southern hemisphere we are going to travel to south africa as i was at the saint paul sportsman's show and uh i have to be honest i was relatively unimpressed by the show overall um i don't know maybe i'm just not in the mindset for summertime stuff yet but there's a lot of trucks and boats and rvs and and canadian resorts and uh, stuff like that and uh there was a fair amount of people but it wasn't busy by any stretch of the imagination um and i walked around had my podcasting equipment with me looking for stuff that you know, kind of jumped out at me that I thought would interest me, would interest you. And uh, honestly, just didn't really find much uh, except for this booth. Because I am a sucker for African safaris. And uh, I just love all the wildlife over there and the different kinds of game animals. And I do enjoy the greater conversation about trophy hunting and what trophy hunting is, uh, what it means, what it means for conservation, um yeah and we get into that so i stopped in to the hannes i'm gonna screw this name up swan and pole safaris booth uh at the show and you know i got to talking to him you know introduced myself and if he was interested in the podcast and he, he was he said he'd be down and uh they were kind of you know there's people about talking to him so i didn't want to you know i wanted him to to push his stuff so i said well i'm gonna check back later it gets a little slower and then so i did and then we did it we sat down we had a fantastic conversation it was exactly what i was hoping to have um there's some really good insights in here from somebody in the industry somebody boots on the ground in south africa and we get to some real truths about african wildlife and and trophy hunting and what all that means. And um, he corrected me on on a couple things. So that's great. I mean, that's – we need to – you know, we're fighting an uphill battle when it comes to misinformation um, in the social media world. 
you know, about the endangered species and, and hunting is under fire and in danger of all sorts of stuff. So this is a great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it because I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to Hans. This is amazing. So I'm not going to ramble on too much more outside of to remind everybody, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Like, rate, and review where possible, and share it with anybody you think that might be interested. Um, I greatly appreciate it. It really, really does help spread the word and gets us traction. Um, as the more traction we have, the more and great guests that we can get on, such as today's episode. So here we go. Let's do it. This is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with Hans Swanepoel. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Oh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I appreciate you taking some time here at the St. Paul Sportsman Show and sitting down with us. Like I said, I will have you introduce yourself. Let everybody okay. tell everybody who you are. Yeah, I'm Hannes Swanepoel. I own the uh, safari company, Hannes Swanepoel Safaris. And we run out of Mishlashla Game Lodge, quite an unpronounceable Man, name. but it's is, in the that is a mouthful. In the Lofelt area of, of South Africa near to the Kruger National Park. That's, uh, all right, so that's a good talking point the Kruger I think a lot of people are familiar with that that yeah. got a lot of press a few years ago with uh was it a National Geographic documentary I think down there like the Lions of Kruger yeah there have been a lot of documentaries on it it's, it's one of the oldest national parks in the world uh, established in the early 1890s um it's, it's a huge area really well known worldwide yeah. it's escaping me now but there is a there was a video that people caught. I think it was of, was it a lion and? The lion that caught the buffalo and that's the, it. With the crocodile yeah, grabbed onto the croc that. Grab, and yeah, that was crazy. War, and then yeah. the other buffaloes came and saved the yes, buffalo. Yes, that's exactly yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. 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 That kind of put, at least for me, it put uh, Kruger on the map. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people too. So that gives them a good point of reference Yeah, yeah. for that. So, so you're booking uh, hunting trips here. You do... Um, trophy hunting in Africa mm -hmm. and uh, which I want to talk about uh, but also you do like ecotourism too yeah we do, we do photographic safaris we do hunting safaris as, as well as uh, fishing safaris throughout uh, throughout southern Africa yeah I was looking at the through your book there I get lost in that book <laughs> we are, we've already talked about half my uh, subject matter but we'll yeah. we'll get into it how is the industry right now the industry is pretty good um, Tourism in South Africa is one of our biggest industries. It's a really important industry in terms of conservation and, and providing funding for a lot of our, our wildlife areas, uh, both through photographic as well as um, consumptive utilization tourism like hunting. Um, it's really important to a lot of our conservation areas. Do you find, and then we're going to kind of get into this subject, but this might be a good segue. Mm -hmm. um, do you find with your customers that come down and do the more ecotourism, the photographic, they ask you a lot about the hunting side of it? 
Um, not so much, but we, we try to include it in, in everything we talk about because conservation and, and, and utilization is, is very much holistic. You need to include all of it. Uh, you can't just do photographic and you can't just do hunting. It needs to be um, included because certain areas and certain um, uses are, are more specific. Um, so if you can combine the two and cover a bigger spectrum and, and generate income in different times of the year, um, it just works better in, in general. And if you have to control a population of any sort, cameras don't do that. No, no, unfortunately <laughs> they don't. Um, but, but you do need that on one side. But the management of, of the species and, and habitat is, is important. And, and although trophy hunting doesn't really reduce populations much, it does take out some of the older animals. And it also provides a, the bulk of the funding for the conservation of all the other areas. I think that that's a good point that I think misses a lot of people that the trophy hunting doesn't really help call numbers you know yeah. nobody's looking for a, a call animal if they're spending yeah. that kind of money to go mm -hmm. over there mm -hmm. um are is there management practices over there like some people like the you know you can't bring the meat back to yep. the united states um but we talked earlier that there are some local hunters do they yep. do they do more of the management yes. hunts? Your, your local hunting industry is, is massive it's more than twice the size of our trophy hunting industry um, financially and that is mostly by local South African hunters hunting primarily for meat um, and it, it generally taking out your your um, masses of animals your female animals uh, the ones you need to reduce in your population to keep population con con uh, population growth under control so that that's where that sector of it comes into play is not only your your local hunting market but also your local meat harvesting market for both local use and export use. Um, a lot of our game meat gets, gets culled on a large scale and exported to Europe, um, as well as utilized locally. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that either. So there are other places in the world that you can bring the meat home back to? Is this uh, Not predominantly the, a... The big problem is the import into the USA. Um, a lot of our European hunters will sometimes take some of the meat back to Europe. It's got to go through a, a control... Um, system, okay. but the USA doesn't allow any, and neither does Australia and New Zealand and that kind of stuff allow any of African meats back into their country. And is that just um, under the umbrella of health? Disease control. Disease control, um, okay. We've, we've got a lot of endemic diseases in Africa, such as foot and mouth and, and a few others, and it's just safer not to let anything put a total ban on it than let anything have an opportunity to slip in. I guess that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, it would just be, I always imagined growing up when, you know, watching the shows and the magazines and dreaming of hunting these exotic animals. But because I, I just love to eat wild game, yeah. I always dreamt of, like, going into my freezer, mm -hmm. looking at all the packaged meat and be like, what do I, do I want an Impala steak tonight? Do I want a Kudu? Maybe an Elan? What am I yeah. feeling like today? Yeah. And I just think that would be, like, super cool. But I can't do it unless I move to Africa. And, I don't and, think that's And that's one happen. of the good things about coming <laughs> over and doing a hunt in Africa is that, You'll get to taste a lot of what you hunt. We'll, we'll pr pr prepare something of everything you hunt, put a kudu tenderloin on the grill at night or uh, do a chicken fried steak out of an impala backstrap. Or I have no idea what thing. that it tastes like, so but it just good. sounds so good. <laughs> I said kudu tenderloin, my mouth starts watering. I have yeah. no idea what that would taste like. Mm -hmm. What is there a pretty wide range of like flavor 
profiles for the um, game? Not really. Most of our antelope species taste quite similar. There's some of them that have a, a unique flavor, like springbuck is a really dark meat. It, and because it eats a lot of little forbs and herbs and things, it has quite a rich flavor to it, really good. But most of our grazers and, and that kind of stuff have a very similar taste. Um, something like zebra is exceptionally good, um, very tender, very flavorful. Um, hippo is, a, is outstanding. Um, so a lot of the creatures that a lot of people might think would, would not be great yeah. are actually surprisingly good. Well, two things. One, um, horse used to be pretty commonly consumed even in this country mm -hmm. at the turn of the century. Yeah. It wasn't until they started becoming pets mm -hmm. where people had a problem with it. And now it's like if you tell somebody to eat a horse, they're going to lose their mind. But yeah. second, you said zebra. Well, I'm in America. You've got to speak American. <laughs> no, I don't want you to speak American. I want you to speak zebra. That's how I, when I watch the shows, they say zebra. Yep. And I want to say zebra because well, I think zebra it's, it's just cooler. Is good. <laughs> yeah, we went through um, some of the names that, like, Americans just pronounce it differently. Yeah. So, like, zebra is one. What was the other one? Not, not a Gemsbach. We call it a Hemsbach. A Hemsbach, and that's the okay. Dutch influence, right? Yeah, that's the Dutch pronunciation of the G. Yep. Hemsbach. I'm going to start saying that. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy in America that corrects everybody <laughs> with the correct way to say it. Yeah. Uh, no, I like that, though. Zebras just sounds way cooler. Anyways, uh, Hemsbach. What was the other one that we talked about? Uh, wildebeest or oh, wild will, a wildebeest. wildebeest. Yeah. That's that's mm -hmm. the one that started it because I was like, oh, the V with the W, that's got to be yeah. Dutch. Yeah, so yeah. wildebeest. Yeah. Yeah, that's those are cool too. There's just so many different kinds of of game out there. I mean, it's yeah, just unbelievable. It, yeah, in, in Southern Africa alone, we have over 52 species of huntable species of large mammal. Um, I mean, that's astounding. When when you come into our areas that that we traverse in and that kind of stuff, on every average day, you could see a few hundred animals of 10 plus different species uh, just driving around. Um, Herds of, of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 impala, uh, herds of 30, 40 wildebeest. Um, some of the areas all get herds of buffalo of over three, 400. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's just phenomenal to see that amount of animals out and about. That's just a massive, like, just the biomass of yeah. that. That's a lot of buffaloes are just huge. So yeah, yeah, yeah. to see all those in one spot, I mean, they got to leave a good trail. It leaves a good trail. You, you can see the <laughs> dust trail long before you even see the you herd. You don't need a yeah. professional hunter to track that herd down. You probably, yeah. anybody could probably find those, I suppose. Mm -hmm. What's the most popular? Um, most popular, especially for first-timers, are uh, general plans game package, something like Kudu. Kudu is always number uh, one Kudu's on most guys' They're my list. favorite. They're great. Um, and then your common things like Impala, Warthog, uh, Blue Wildebeest, um, Zebra. Um, those kind of things are all very popular. And then most guys coming to Africa will come back again. It is that special. I bet. And then generally on the second time round, they'll come do some of your more exotic things like Nyala, Sable, Waterbuck, and maybe Cape Buffalo and, and something like that. Um, but it, it's probably one of the most addictive things you could ever do. Like, it's just so exotic. I got to just assume. I mean, just going to Africa would be an experience that I mm -hmm. would love to do someday for sure. And a haunt would be awesome as well. Yeah. But I think just even going there would be just to see it. Yeah. And the is this like this is a preserve? I assume do you well, operate all, under a preserve? all of these areas are on private land. Okay. Um, so it's private land. Um, all of them are, have got fences around. Most of them are massive big areas. 
And now the main reason for the fences around is to basically contain the, the wildlife and also to keep livestock and people out. So it's a combination of the two. It, it's not a system where we got little preserves where you got 20 animals in and they put in there to be hunted and that kind of stuff. These are complete wild, sustaining, self-sustained populations of, of animals. Yeah, there's a wide range. When you say high fence, like some people get kind of triggered here in the States with high fence because they think it's not sporting, that the animals can't get away, you know. But, it, you know, do you have 20 acres fenced in or do you have 20,000 acres We got 20,000 acres fenced in. Yeah, exactly. In with elephants and buffaloes and lions. I mean, those animals get eaten by lions and elephants every uh, lions and leopards every day um so it's it's completely wild those animals do not hang around the hunting is tough it's on foot it's tracking stalking um it's exciting you can be following an impala one day and a lion could be following the same impala that would um, be trippy that kind of thing <laughs> it's, it's something like you do not experience anywhere else uh yeah you, there's always probably the uh you start becoming the hunted at some point in time. It, it uh, has happened, yeah. I've, I've been with a guy from Ohio, and we're sneaking up on some impala and some really thick brush, and suddenly the impala started snorting and looking to the side of us, and I wasn't sure what was going on. I looked over, and he has two big male lions probably 50 feet from us. Oh, my Stalking gosh. those same impalas. <laughs> <laughs> we made a quick retreat out of there. Yeah, so. go, go ahead. Play through, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, wow. That would be... That would be intense. I can only imagine. You have to have seen some crazy things go yeah, down over the years. Y you do. Um, and it's all about, and that's what's nice about the hunting side of things, um, as compared to the photographic. Photographic, you spend a lot of time on vehicles, seeing, looking at the things from the outside. Whereas when you're hunting, you're actually, actually interacting. Um, so you're there on foot. You're interacting with the wildlife. You're getting in their personal space. You, um, It's a whole different experience. And because you moving unobserved and undetected, you get to experience things where the animals are um, behaving completely naturally without knowing you're there. So you do see some really, really cool and interesting stuff. God, I can only imagine. What's the bird life down there? Phenomenal. Um, Southern Africa, our area around us, has got over 900 species of birds. Um, I'm an avid bird watcher as well. I, I take trips and, and tours for bird watching tours oh, in, our, birds. in our summer months. Um, just phenomenal, and what's nice, you, it's just everywhere. You can do it anywhere and everywhere. So. And we get lost in the weeds when we talk to, um, like, the trophy hunting. This would be a good way to get into that. Like, that term in today's day and age can carry a negative connotation with some people. Yeah. You know, I think it's most people that hunt have a have a pretty good understanding yeah. of what it means and the conservation that comes yeah. side of it and on the anti-hunters you're never going to win them over mm -hmm. but the people in the middle mm -hmm. that are they're they're not hunters but yet they're not you know yeah yeah one protesting of the big, either one of the big misconceptions about trophy hunting is that people think it's just pure out of enjoyment and they just take what they want and leave the rest um out of all the forms of hunting trophy hunting is the one that utilizes the most of every animal the hides, the horns, the bones, the, the meat, everything gets utilized off of them. Whereas a lot of your general meat hunters are taking the meat and, and not utilizing the rest. So right. it, it is the yeah. one form of hunting that firstly utilizes more than any animal. It generates three, two to three times the amount of income than any other form of hunting. And it's not all about chasing the biggest animal out there. Trophy hunting nowadays has become a lot more about removing old animals, 
providing the younger animals an opportunity to to breed and take over the herds. Um, So it's become a lot more of a conservation tool in terms of uh, conserving not only your species, but your genetics within the species. Sure. And so, like, what's the... Outside of the fences of the preserve, what, how is African wildlife? Um, there's, there's still a lot of wildlife um, throughout South Africa and, and especially more so your other Southern African countries. Um, we've got a lot of commercial agriculture in, in South Africa, so because of that, we need to fence off a lot more areas just to keep the wildlife out of your commercial agriculture areas. Lions and cattle don't do well. Oh, um, elephants and a corn crop doesn't do well. Um, so we need to separate in terms of that. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is, is having the vast numbers of elephants and, and large herbivores that we have, trying to do subsistence farming where one elephant herd can wipe out your entire year's crop in one night. And to be able to live in those conditions and have to deal with that and then have the pressure put on us that we shouldn't utilize them because it's a world heritage and, and all the rest of it. But the rest of the world is not contributing towards the damage caused by these animals. So it's a, it's a whole different perception. Yeah, I got, what kind of fencing do you got to put up to stop an elephant? Um, it, it's, it's got to have electrics in it. <laughs> nothing else keeps them back. So you've got to scare Good them with their electrics. But, and even then, if he wants to go through, nothing's going to stop him. Yeah, so you've got to create a, an environment that he doesn't feel he needs to go there. And crops like, are one thing. Like corn is one thing. Yeah, I mean, they, they would decimate a corn. But, yeah. I mean, they can take down trees. Fruit so trees. So if you and, have an orchard, they're going to yeah, yeah. push a thing yeah, right over. Yeah, yeah. And elephants love citrus. Oh, There's I nothing better for an elephant than an orange. Now you can imagine him in a citrus orchard. It yeah. will be amazing. Just drop a couple elephants in Florida <laughs> and see how well your orchard does. Yeah. <laughs> see what the people say about it then. Yeah, but the elephant is is uh, a good subject matter because um, they're on the endangered species list. No, as they're a not. Whole. The, and they're that's not. That's a big misperception. Oh, people see, think elephants on the endangered species. They are not. Southern Africa has a major problem with elephants at the moment. There are two to three times the amount of elephants that we should ecologically be carrying. Um, We cannot get rid of enough elephants. We cannot cull enough elephants, even if we had the infrastructure that to do it. And because they are such a destructive creature, they they are threatening many other species through total habitat destruction. Well, and... It's kind of a double-edged sword, too, because you have the agriculture. If mm-hmm. that's, you know, mm-hmm. any part of the world that has, uh, you know, modern agriculture, mm-hmm. you're, are, you're deforesting mm-hmm. large tracts of land, converting it into yeah. um, fields where you can plow it up and plant corn mm-hmm. and plant these monocrops, mm-hmm. and nothing else lives on that land yes. but yeah. that plant in yeah. which you're planting. I mean, you kill every other plant you kill every bug you every kill, bug so every rodent every bird i was kind of building there. up mm-hmm. when i asked you about the birds earlier mm-hmm. inside the preserve mm-hmm. i imagine once you get to these big farms you're not going to start you're not yeah. going to see a yeah. lot of those birds well well that's the thing about about these hunting areas it's not just about conserving the animals it's about conserving the habitat you're creating habitat prime habitat for all your other species um, your ecological balance is so much better in these areas um so it, it, it's providing the more of a holistic approach to conservation um, with, a, with a spin-off and being paid for by a single sector of that population. Right, and that's, and that's kind of what I try to get across. Like, I feel like that's the angle. 
it just seems easy when people are arguing about it and they're they're trying to be you know pro hunting or pro tro trophy hunting they use a lot of the same arguments yep. and they just they they go through one ear and out the other mm -hmm. they, they don't really they don't have enough depth behind it as far yeah. you know to carry the weight of, to really reach people that might not have an understanding of yeah. it yeah. you know when you say oh this is a wildlife management area here in the states mm -hmm. and the, you know it's so we can hunt ducks or deer or whatever yeah. it is i think the the important thing to get across is that yes it's, it's set aside for people to go in there and kill animals mm -hmm. but what's happening with that large tract of land that can't be developed that can't be farmed yeah. It's just going back to nature. So Creating all the perfect habitat for everything else. Animals yep. are benefiting. Mm -hmm. Down to the bugs, down mm -hmm. to the worms in the soil, yeah. to yeah. the fungus, to yeah. the everything. Yeah. You've yeah. got how it was yeah. before man got there and started toying with it. Exactly. Really. Mm -hmm. And so and like I said, it's being paid for. Instead of taxpayer money or yep. something else, you know, a government funded entity, you know, like uh, just like a park, yep. you know, our, our national park system here, which is great. I love the park system is awesome um but that is funded through public dollars yeah. Yeah. not voluntary paid for mm -hmm. when people and and that's exactly it and, and with the pressure on us to well pressure from the world to stop things like trophy hunting and that if if you just in south africa if you had to stop trophy hunting and trophy exports to to countries like the usa like the uk like europe you would we would probably lose two-thirds of our conservation land in South Africa that would go back to commercial agriculture, Absolutely. commercial livestock farming, which means you, you're losing the whole ecosystem um, and, and all the other species dependent on it, um, going back to a monoculture system. And so that's why it's important for us to be able to export trophies, for, to be able to bring foreigners in to provide that vital funding and protection for these big conservation areas yeah it's it i get how it's confusing for a lot of people and they, and they have a hard time connecting the dots of by killing an animal you're helping yeah. the species as a whole but not but then even the bigger picture like i said yeah. not even just that species yeah. but yeah. every other species that's going to mm -hmm. benefit mm -hmm. off of living in that protected land that's not being plowed under or yeah. it's not just being yeah. developed into yeah. a yeah. you know yeah a factory you know exactly. that's going to create even more pollution i mean yeah. what kind of pollution are you creating out there but elephant farts i mean nothing <laughs> it, it is probably I mean, one of your most sustainable eco-friendly yeah. um activities there can be yeah. yeah and the elephants i know are just uh i actually thought as a whole they were endangered now that's great that you corrected me on that but i know like there's certain parts of africa there that are there are certain areas where are they are more threatened um towards central africa kenya um, that kind of thing um, where elephant populations are under threat through illegal use but in most areas where there's um, commercial hunting of those species the populations have actually absolutely thrived because money is going back into the protection into anti-poaching into providing water into providing a prime habitat for these species and wherever you do that and wherever you create value to wildlife they absolutely flourish um, to the point where in South Africa, we now, 50, 60 years ago, had about 500,000 head of wild animals, antelope and, and large mammals. We now have nearly 20 million head of those same species. That's great. Over a 50, 60 year period, and it's all through creating value, uh, putting value on these animals, putting value on wildlife areas to provide habitat for these animals. 
Yeah, you don't get that. And I don't want to take anything away from, like, the, you know, the photo safaris, mm -hmm. but there's just not as many people doing the photography thing, and the price yeah. tag isn't yeah. as high. And that's exactly it. There are a lot of people doing the photo safaris, but your percentage of income a percentage of expenditure from your photo safaris compared to your hunting safaris that actually goes to conservation work is a tiny fraction. Yeah. Where a huge, probably 10 times more of the money generated from hunters actually goes into conservation as compared to photographic safaris. Well, and the other thing they like to do is demonize, you know, the rich American hunter, you know, that comes over and he spends just to, just for his ego, you know, that yeah, they like yeah. to just demonize him, but... Really, thank God that we have rich and, and wealthy the thing people is, though, out there willing to spend. Those are the people that realize that the future of conservation depends on what they spend. So it's not about going over there and paying a bunch of money to kill an animal. It's about paying money for the privilege of hunting and paying for the conservation of their zeros. Absolutely. And that's the whole mindset, mindset shift we've had over the last 20, 30 years is people realizing that by them coming over there and harvesting animals and paying for the privilege of that experience, they are paying for the future of conservation and the future of, of the, uh, conservation areas. There is a there was an American hunter a few years back. Mm -hmm. That was quite a while now. Corey Knowlton, mm -hmm. and he bid on a I think it was a rhino hunt. Black rhino hunt. Yeah. And uh, he got it. Do you remember mm -hmm. what the price tag was? Three hundred and fifty thousand. Three hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I heard an interview with him, and he. When they asked him how much it was, he said not enough. Yeah. He's like, where where are the rich, where are the Hollywood elites? Yeah. Why aren't they, why aren't they outbidding me by the millions? Exactly, exactly. This guy's put money into conservation. Rhino are probably one of our most threatened species in Southern Africa at the moment, because of the high scale poaching taking place, um, because we are not allowed to trade in rhino horn, because we are restricted on on our hunting of rhinos. We don't have a lot of funding coming into conservation. The amount of money has been spent nowadays in, in Southern Africa on anti-poaching work, trying to fight these, these war gangs going after our rhino, is astronomical. And if it wasn't guys, for guys like, like Corey pr providing that amount of money, now you convert that, that back into African currencies, that's a huge amount of money. Right. And all of that money is going straight back into conservation for the harvesting of one old post-reproductive male rhino um, are there any breeding like as um is there any captive breeding like yeah. within parks of you know not, hunting not, not doing within that? your in your government parks but on private land private it, that's it, what it i is, meant like it is there's large-scale breeding especially with things like rhino because you can't look after rhino in a hundred thousand acres but if you put rhino into 500 or 1,000 acres, you can provide the protection they need around that area. So unfortunately, because of the, the massive threat on rhinos, a lot of our rhinos are, have been removed out of large areas, not all of them, a lot of them, and, and put on private land where they get the super protection. These guys have got armed guards with them 24-7. Um, do you get a lot of poachers trying to get into your preserves? Not really our preserves, but we spend a lot of money on anti-poaching. We've got armed well, guards 24-7, electrified <laughs> fences. We've got people out surveying the area all the time. And you need to. But at the end of the day, that's, be, that's an expensive part of oh, a conservation. Absolutely. And somebody needs to pay for it. The government's not paying for it. No. Um, all these um, 
animal rights organisations, although they're collecting money for it, are not paying for it. That money doesn't get to the ground where it's meant to be getting. Listen, it goes into their pockets. I don't know about, you know, all over if, like, the wild, the World Wildlife Federation, um, I haven't looked deep into them, but, like, here we have the HSUS, the Humane Society of the United States, and they're, they're one of the worst. The, the amount of money they bring in, and you look at the pie chart, mm-hmm. and because they're uh, – um, you know, a non-profit organization, yeah. their their records are public. You can yeah. go on Google, you can look at this, and you can see where their money is spent. Mm-hmm. And the the millions and millions and millions of money that you are donating, thinking you're helping yeah. an, an animal somewhere, is not going to help these animals. It's not getting onto the ground get, where we are. It's going None to create it. more advertising to get more of your dollars, and it's going into these people's pockets. Mm-hmm. It, that's what's happening. I mean, that's I, I find that much more offensive than killing an animal exactly one animal exactly you know yeah. for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know like yeah, that's it's, it's become a major threat to conservation in africa is is the western yeah. theory of preservation and, and isn't that and the irony isn't that the irony yeah. of it that an animal rights act uh, a group yeah. is a threat mm-hmm. to african wildlife yeah. i mean i yeah. think i think that really is the message that you know, that's and the kind of new message I think yeah. we, we want to portray. And it's not only your African wildlife. It's your African people living with the wildlife. Oh, I can only that imagine. That their right to utilization and, and, and right to conserve their wildlife has been taken away by a group of people that have no vested interest in the conservation, in the utilization well, of these species. Well, the Cecil Lion thing was a huge That setback. is a huge thing. And, and that's where the media comes into it. The media blew up something, created a whole bunch of false media, load of organizations made billions out of it and it was a completely legal hunt it was an old lion that should have been killed long ago um 50 or whatever thousand dollars going straight back into conservation unfortunately somebody had named him and and it just blew up yeah and And that that whole thing that whole thing has caused more damage to lion conservation throughout africa than any other single event that's just terrible i mean it you know there's a lot of misinformation unfortunately out there um so I guess we can use this opportunity to kind of clarify, you know, what what were the ramifications of that? They you know they did shut down due to public outcry. They shut down the lion hunting in Zimbabwe. No, did they, they not? didn't shut down the lion hunting. Certain countries shut down importing of trophies from that country. Okay, um, which stopped which, people from which going there. In in terms, shut down a lot of it. They put thousands of thousands of families out of work. Um, which that that was their sole income. A lot of your rural can, families and, and communities um, rely on your hunting conservation to pay for their schools, pay for their clinics, pay for their, their living expenses. And that was suddenly taken away. Their right to utilize that and, and to live off of it was taken away by a group of people who have no real vested interest in the conservation of these animals. And there's a different, like, even the term poaching, mm-hmm. there's different kinds of poaching. Right, yeah, you've got yeah. the the very poor family mm-hmm. that's living there that's trying to feed your your basic subsistence poaching, which although not legal, is is understandable. I mean, everybody needs to live. Everybody yeah. needs a bit of food. And then, um, but the then you get the commercial poaching, and and that's the that's our, one of our biggest threats. Right, and that's where we're spending a lot of money is fighting that that commercial poaching. Um, unfortunately, there's so many people at high levels involved in a lot of it. Um, so it's a really tough one to fight because you're fighting the guy on the ground, but you're not fighting the guy paying for it all. Right, yeah, absolutely. But then to go to like when you said you put those people out of jobs that were working to 
protect lions really because mm -hmm. it was a livelihood for them exactly now they have to now they probably have to go and poach because they just lost a job now they got to poach animals yeah. just to eat and, now they're back into now you're back into the yeah. subsistence poaching and, so you're and where the lion used to be a commodity to them a, a asset um, they could afford to lose some of their livestock every year to lion because it wasn't a problem they'd regenerate that from hunting now the lion is a total threat to them it's got no value it's killing their livestock um, which is now the only source of or their family or their family. <laughs> so it, from where does uh, a wildlife asset has now become a threat to them. So it has no value. It has no right to existence in amongst them, their families and their livestock. Yeah, that's just how do we get how do we go about like what's the best way? Do you think like how do we turn the tide or how do we reach more people with this kind of a message? We, we need to get out and do what we do now and spread the right message. We need, as, as hunters, as conservationists, need to get out and reach as many people as we can um, to the point where we can tell our governments, listen here, you have no right to stop imports of trophies from those countries. You have no right. That is pain for their conservation. We agree with those people. We need to stand up and support your hunting organizations, your conservation, true conservation organizations, the guys providing the funding and the protection for these areas. And the more people we can reach through talks like this and, and discussions like this, the better for us. There's lots of people out there that, that are fed so much misinformation. And the more right, true information we can get out there, that's the only way we're going to win this battle, is by educating and informing people. And that's why I like how you have the setup here. You have the hunting side of of your business and then you also have the ecotourism the photography side of it and i like the fact that you're you know you bring it up and you talk to the people that are just taking pictures and mm -hmm. you know it's, it's not and you're not convincing them like you should also hunt like it's not yeah. for everybody i'm not going to tell somebody who has no interest in hunting like yes you should hunt yeah. i just want them as an ally yeah i just and want them to realize that, that's always one of my biggest discussion points in these talks that i have is everybody's entitled to their opinion what they like and don't like um, I don't mind if half the people out there don't like hunting. That is fine. Every one of us are a little different. What you need to do is understand that it has a role to play in conservation and don't stop it from taking place. You don't need to like hunting. I don't mind it. it each of us are different. Um, that's entirely your right. But don't turn that into a system of stopping an important conservation tool. Yeah, fighting that, that, like, the court of public opinion, if you will, um, like we touched on, you got the Lion King effect mm -hmm. going on right now. You, you said that, like, warthog hunts yeah. are down. Yes, because you can't kill Pumbaa. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to kill Pumbaa. You can go, the hyenas are fair game because they're yeah. the bad guys. Yeah. But mm -hmm. isn't that weird how we like that? It, it is weird, and, and um, it's amazing how that is used um, to to generate income for your for your aunties and that kind of stuff is is the disnification and and glorification of certain species um if you think of it everybody gets told over here that elephants are endangered and that that creates funding right, for a lot yeah. of these organizations um another species which is not under threat at all in africa it has got very few um people wanting to hunt them they've got more than enough habitat is giraffe and yet your animal rights are now pushing giraffe to be listed as endangered. Why? Because it's a sellable species yeah. for them.
It is a cute long eyelash species that's easy to sell. <laughs> long eyelash species, <laughs> yes. A charismatic megafauna. Exactly. Whoever uh, coined that phrase. That's a good one. I heard that one. Like, that's exactly what it is. But, it's but that just shows you where the, where the intent is. Yeah, it's not so about we the have something kind of similar going on here mm -hmm. in the New World with, um, well, polar bears. You know, they're, they're listing them as endangered. They're, their numbers have never been higher. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't import the hides back into America. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. um, you can do it anywhere. It's not illegal to hunt them. No. You just can't bring them back. And so they're, you know, in Canada, they're, they're seeing the same thing. Like people but aren't going to hunt them. They're not spending the money on them. But all yeah. that does is it takes away a lot of opportunity for conservation funding for those species. But I'm not importing those trophies. Absolutely. And that does. doesn't cost the government a cent. No. It's, it's out of private money. It's private funding of these projects. Yeah. And, and yet it's been, been stopped for no apparent reason. And we have a battle going on right here in Minnesota with the Canadian lynx. So the, we're on the very southern edge of, of their territory, of their natural territory. The northern Minnesota has lynx. And we have a zone, the northeastern part of the state, is you can't trap lynx. Well, you can't even trap. Um, there's certain ways you... The habit you can only trap certain ways for certain animals to eliminate incidental catches. Sure. You know, and I've touched on this on my show before, where it's like in the last 10 years, there's only been um, a handful of incidental catches, like over 10 years, mm -hmm. and then of those 10 years, only six were fatal. So yeah. it's like that. That's not even those aren't even real numbers. No. Like that, you're not impacting mm -hmm. the lynx population at all. A, you can't because if you look, and this, it's the same thing. Like, I thought the lynx was endangered because that's kind of what you're being spoon-fed. When I looked into it, they're not endangered at all. Their population, they are of least concern. Yeah. That's, they are listed as least concern. So, but the antis are just using that. Yeah. And the general public doesn't know that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's nobody really countering. Like, no. that. the news organizations, you know, they'll just, they'll just let the story run yeah. and then let people think what they want to think there's there's no counter there's, nobody's countering it exactly nobody's countering exactly. the misinformation yeah. and and that's the one of our biggest threats to to what we do is is that there's so much misinformation out there and the media is not supporting that as us at all in terms of putting the correct information out i mean after that cecil the lion incident did you hear one media report saying listen yeah this was all false that guy no. did nothing illegal. No. Nope. Um, there's been an investigation. There was nothing wrong with what happened. Nobody said that. No. Nope. After the sensation was gone, it was just hidden away. Yeah. And unfortunately, so so many people just love to get on social media or whatever it is, and they exercise their outrage, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they feel like, I don't know, they must feel like they've done something for the world, yeah. and then they'll go right back to playing Candy Crush. Yeah. Like, you're not really <laughs> doing anything. Like, you went yeah. on there, you threatened some guy's life, you know, I hope his whole family gets yeah. eaten by yeah. a lion. You know, people say just t absolute terrible stuff. It's just unbelievable what people are capable yeah. of saying. In like, ironically, under the guise of yeah, trying right. to be to and help, yet, and yet those people contribute in no way to actual conservation. Zero, zero, zero. And if they do donate, they probably do donate to, to the, the wrong people, the World Wildlife <laughs> Federation, or to HSUS. Yeah. Like, and it's not going anywhere. You know, no. um, I w are there organizations that people can outside of you know going on a hunt yourself? Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody wanted to. Um, be more proactive, not able to go over, maybe yeah. not interested in hunting. Yeah. Are there organizations you're aware of that? There, there are, but the best, what I tell people is, is 
try to get in contact like through myself or through actual people on the ground, our national parks or our private reserves in South Africa, and go to them and say, listen here, where are your requirements? What do you need? Can we send you equipment? Can we send you night vision equipment? Can we send you tracking devices? Can we send you whatever? Instead of dumping a bunch of money into some organization that it just disappears, right. um, rather go to people on the ground and say to them, listen, you know, what do you guys need? What do, where, where are your requirements? And instead of sending a bunch of money, put a, a funding campaign together and buy some of the good high technology equipment that we cannot afford over there and, and ship that over to them. That is one of the best ad- bits of advice I can give for something and like so that. We, so el- there's plenty of elephants. Plenty of elephants. There's plenty of giraffes. Loads what are of some of the other uh, big marquee species that kind of fall under that PR problem? Most of the species over there are, are way out of threat. There are, there are certain species that are still under threat, things like your African hunting dog, African wild dog. They're under threat, and, and it basically comes down to um, habitat loss. Those species need vast, vast tracts of land to to sustain the, the amounts of prey they need and, and et cetera, et cetera. And they also a, a huge threat to livestock farming and that. When they get in there, they can decimate herds in no time. I bet. I bet um, they like goats. So that, that's a major <laughs> threat. And, and the only way we can really provide for them is by creating wild areas. And the best way of creating wild areas is making them sustainable and um able to pay for themselves in the long run. So through providing funding through hunting, through providing funding through ecotourism, that is the best way of conserving species like that. If you want to conserve Africa, come visit. Come spend your money. Go visit these wildlife areas. Every day you spend in those wildlife areas, you're helping pay for the future of those areas. You have to give the animals value, more value than a crop. Uh, exactly. Or more value. That animal has to have more value than a head of cattle. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to have. To exist. I mean, you just, if just it's economics. boil it down to economics. Exactly. It's like whatever is going to make them the most money, they're going to do that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that if you take anything away from this conversation, it's, it's mm-hmm. that. Like try to convey that to people mm-hmm. that are uneducated, that are on the fence, that don't have a horse in the race. They're not hunters, yet they're not anti-hunting or animal rights activists but they're yeah. somewhere in the middle which yeah. is probably the vast majority yeah. of people living yeah, in yeah, cities. the best best way to to have anything have a future is, is to be able to give it the opportunity to pay for itself to fund its own existence as soon as you got to use money from somewhere else to fund something it eventually runs out if you create opportunity for a species to fund itself you'll ensure its existence forever uh, create an opportunity for a community to exist alongside, to generate income for themselves, they'll provide habitat for that as long as they're there. So that, that's the answer to a lot of it, especially in your African system. Yeah, and I, so going back to the, the rhino real quick, this is just my curiosity. Is there, are there rhino hunts that people can be a part of, or is that Th- There are rhino hunts that can be a part of. They, they're pretty spendy and that kind of thing, but it's an important part what we need for rhinos to, to survive is to legalize the trade in rhino horn. Okay, so that's the big one. That, so, that's and that, the big one. And, and all of these um, animal artists are fighting against it because they know if we legalize rhino horn trade, poaching will end. You end poaching, what do they sell? 
you'll yeah. cut off a major part of their income source. Um, at the end of the day, at the moment, a rhino is worth more dead than alive. A poacher comes and he kills it, he hacks off the horn and he sells it. If we can harvest rhino horn, you can tranquilize that animal, you can cut off two-thirds of its horn every two years, it just grows back like a fingernail, you can harvest that horn without influencing that animal at all, without harming that animal at all. You can put that on the market, bring the price down. And the rhino never dies. And all of that money, first of all, goes through a control system. Taxes can be paid on that. That money can be used for conservation. The landowners generating and protecting these rhinos can suddenly get enough money to up their protection and up the conservation, which will create more habitat for, for live rhinos. Could there be something, and maybe this is going on, I don't know, I just had the thought pop into my head, like, um, would somebody, you think anybody would be willing to pay for the hunt, if you will, in air quotes, to tranquilize, yes. to track the rhino? And, and, and then that's exactly it. You could then bring somebody in to be part of that whole they thing. do the whole and grip and grin with the and animal in front yeah, of them, and just unfortunately, like Unfortunately, the, the law doesn't uh, permit the use the of, personal, of, of the tranquilizers. So that has to be done by a qualified veterinarian. Uh, but you can have somebody go along on those exercises, pay for that experience. I mean, just going along and being able to touch a live oh, rhino. Can you imagine? Um, well, you can phenomenal. imagine. You yeah. <laughs> we, we I, I would lose my mind. Like that would be. Yeah. That'd be like this for me. It'd be like the scene in Jurassic Park it's, where he exactly sees the it. Triceratops yeah. for the first mm-hmm. time. I would, if I got to put my hand yeah. on a black rhino, I would freak out. Yeah, it it is something amazing. I mean, just to see those creatures in their natural environment and. It's probably the most prehistoric animal you'll ever look I at. I mean, I think that's like the biggest win-win. I mean, yeah. right there, to, to, track, to track a rhino, get mm-hmm. the thrill of the haunt, get mm-hmm. all that, get the, the, get the, get the picture, yeah. and then know that that animal is, is still yeah. alive and it's going to be able to breed on. Yeah. You harvest then, a portion of the horn, that gets sold off, and that, I mean, rhino horn at the moment on the black market is, is worth more than gold per ounce. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's crazy, and... For, the, for the, <laughs> the ban on trade at the moment bans legal trade. It has had absolutely no influence on illegal trade. It's actually stimulated illegal. Well, trade. absolutely. Yeah. It's like any time. It's, I mean, look at the history of man. You know, here in, in the states with prohibition, did people stop consuming alcohol? No. no. You just gave all the money and all the power to, to the wrong ones, to mm-hmm. the underground, to the mm-hmm. criminal underground. Like that's that's what happens when you when you ban stuff. Yeah. Um, you and think we'd sa- learn, it, and but we just And it's the same with, with a ban on the rhino horn trade. Absolutely. It's going to be the same on the ban of trophy imports. Um, there's nothing good that comes from it. And, you know, and it goes back, like we said, give it, a, give it the financial, mm-hmm. um, give them a reason to keep rhinos alive. Exactly. You need that be, incentive. If, if rhinos bring in money, mm-hmm. Everybody will make, want them. people will make sure there are rhinos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but if they don't, Whatever. And the ones that are poaching it, just shooting them, cutting the horn off and leaving them lay, yeah. they don't care. They'll, if they yeah. exhaust that resource, they'll move on to the next one. Exactly. And, in fact, the more, the closer they get to extinction, the more go, their value goes up. Yeah, the more they're going to go end. after it. Yeah. So you're driving, mm-hmm. you're driving that market yeah. instead of a, a lawful, regulated, monitored business. Exactly. Exactly. You need to create an incentive for, for people to want to have those animals on their property. And at the moment, having li- rhino on your property is a liability. It's, it's costing you a fortune. It's a risk to your livelihood. People will come in and kill you to kill your rhino. That's just insane. Um, whereas if you could create a, a value to that animal where you could create an income, provide the security required for these animals, provide the habitat required, 
And it's, it's a simple no-brainer. It's right in front of us. We just need the world to stand up and realize it. And we and need the, the people to stand up and tell the governments, listen, yeah, we need to stop this. This is not working. Is that on the African government? I mean, you say African government like it's one thing. but World, I mean Worldwide. Unfortunately, South Africa is part of CITES, which is your Convention okay. yes. on International Trade in Endangered Species. Now, that, in, when it was started, had a lot of good ideas about controlling and regulating international trade, which is great. It has now become an organization that wants to ban countries from utilizing their wildlife. That's not what it's about. We now have countries telling us what we should be doing with our rhinos, yet they have no interest in rhinos. They have no rhinos of their own. They, have no, um, they do not contribute towards rhino conservation, yet they want to have a vote and tell us how we should be conserving and utilizing our rhinos. Just doesn't make sense. Well, if you talk about the industry, just how, like, if it was legal, you'd, you know, you'd be promoting more rhinos and, and that would be bringing in the money. Right now, where is the money? The money is these anti-hunting campaigns. Exactly. They're making yeah. money off of pulling your heartstrings. Yes. They don't want it. Yeah. They don't want it legalized because now yeah. their market, which is pe people's well-meaning emotions yes. and hearts towards yeah. these iconic yeah. animals, yeah. Yeah. That's that's where they make their money. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, yeah. it's and, abhorrent. And, it's, and it's unfortunately, terrible. none of it is going to the right place. And if if you had to bring down the poaching, that would just take away their sales because that, that's what they're selling. And unfortunately, it's that's just it's terrible. heartbreaking because us guys on the ground are fighting a, a massive war against all of this. And and at the moment, we aren't winning. At the moment, we are losing this battle. And and that's why we just need more people on the ground to get in and support and. And, and and tell their politicians, listen, yeah, we need to stop this. We need to change this. Yeah, it would be nice to get some bigger name backers, you mm -hmm. know, that, that... But that's tough, too. You know, like there, these Hollywood elites, you no, step out of there, the There's a lot of guys the standing up and doing it. There's a lot, there? of, a lot of well-known guys in, in, in the U.S. standing up. Um, there's organizations standing up and doing it. Uh, Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club International. SCI, I think. Um, all, all of these guys have, are putting big money into fighting it, into, into talking to politicians and getting people involved in that. Um, there's a lot happening, but we need more people on the ground getting, getting involved and, and contributing. And, and it doesn't need to be financial. It needs to be writing a letter to your, your congressman, writing a letter to um, your government officials, to your game organizations and saying, listen here, how can we get involved? How can we support conservation in Africa? It's, it's vitally important. And, and I think it's changing the dialogue. At least that's my, my take on it and what I've been harping on on, on this show, like um, how we interact with other people. You know, instead of, you know, we, we started the, the podcast off, like instead of bashing somebody else or throwing the insults back, you know, I, I try to get people away from, you know, using terms that we use here, like libtard, you know, someone's a liberal, like, mm -hmm. you know, this derogatory terms yeah. doesn't ever win anybody over. You're not getting anywhere. You, they're just going to dig their heels in. They're going to call you a redneck or whatever, you know, whatever the, the derogatory yeah. term is. Yeah. Um, be cool headed, have facts on your side. And I think stuff that we've talked about in this podcast, I think are great. I think yeah. these are what people need to know. So now on a personal level, I want, before we wrap this up, I want to talk about, um, the table fair. I'm gonna get back to that because that's <laughs> what I'm interested in. So, um, so if you go on one of these hunts, mm -hmm. you get to sample 
Is it like when they go out and, and harvest an animal, or you already have some just like at the freezer back at yeah, the lodge? Yeah, we, we've got a bunch of, of prepared meat, uh, sausage and, and, and burger and, and whatever else from species we've hunted previously. Because when you're there, you're only hunting a few species, but you'd like to taste a lot more. Everything. So I want, we've I got, want to we've taste got some pre-prepared. <laughs> and you're going to have to bring me a meat <laughs> and cheese plate. There's like some of everything. Yeah. How many Plains game animals were there that you can hunt? Plains game, there's over 30 Plains game right, animals. But I'm over, over have to have a big appetite. Species, that's, a big, that's a big meat plate. I want yeah, to try all yeah. of them. And, and they're all good. <laughs> and, and that's what we try to do. Is like when you're hunting, we try to take a little bit of almost everything you hunt and, and eat that, as well as some of the other species that you might not have opportunity to, to hunt while you're there. What's your favorite animal? What's your favorite animal to hunt? Um, elephant. You like elephant? Yeah, yeah. Elephant, what, what buffalo are, are probably two of my favorite in terms of pure adrenaline, pure excitement. I mean, you can imagine holding a, a little rifle in your hand and walking up to a 13,000 pound, 12 foot tall elephant at 10, 15, 20 yards. Oh my God. I mean, if, if that not, that's not going to get you going, nothing is. Um, getting into a herd of Cape buffalo of, of 20, 30, or a few hundred animals, when you're in 30, 40 yards from them, you can smell them right around you. Um, that's exciting. That, that gets you going. Um, it, it's, it's all there. It's all there. I mean, when it comes to hunting and, and living and being part of, of what's around you, it, it doesn't get better than that. That sounds frightening and yet amazing <laughs> at the same time <laughs> that would be quite the rush yeah. so what's your favorite animal to eat um i've been asked that so many times and and to be honest i couldn't pick one um there, there's a bunch of different ones that i've eaten that have been right up there um eland is great hippopotamus is awesome zebra is great um sable uh, some of the best meat i've eaten eaten is off of sable but little things like impala, that uh, chicken fried steak off of an impala, any of that, <laughs> you just good. can't beat it. You the can't. hippo, I think, is a uh, is I've never heard that until I talked to you today. Okay. I never when I, yeah. it's and I don't know why. I mean, we it, we like to eat pigs. I mean, not that they're a pig, but yeah. they they kind of yeah. resemble them in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like we said, like elephant is tough and grainy just because yeah. they're so massive. They're mm-hmm. moving their own. You know, those yeah. muscles yeah. are getting workout all the time. Yes. But the hippo, while being very large. It doesn't do a whole bunch. There's, and they're supported by water most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So they're not, they're using their muscles, but not in the same fashion on dry land yeah. like elephants are. And you're saying it's marbled, like has good marbling in it? Good marbling. It, it how is, is just how so is the fat? How, like hippopotamus fat? It, it has a lot of fat on the outside that we generally cut off. But once you get into the steaks and that kind of stuff, it's very lightly marbled with fat, a very tender, very pleasant flavor. Um, it. I can't fault any does of it. The, does the fat, um, is it more tallow-like fat? It's, it's a very white fat. Okay. Um, very, very white. Is it uh, the waxy fat? Pretty waxy. So ta- okay, um, tallow, yeah. So. Well, different parts of it obviously changes in that. Sure, but, sure. Um, Cause it, it's very similar to pork here, fat. Like very similar fat. to pork oh, fat. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. could render it down into like lard or something you like that? You could, yes, yeah. Would and there's pre- enough of it. Would it be pretty yeah. similar? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because like here, like nobody really uses... Deer fat. Yeah. It's very waxy. Like yeah. it, if yeah. you eat it, it leaves a film on your mm-hmm. teeth. Like it's just not really that pleasant. So most people trim the yeah. fat off yeah. of their venison. Yeah. But maybe you don't want to trim too much off your your hippopotamus <laughs> chops. Yeah. No, we, we do we do trim a lot of just because there's too much of it. If you, if you had to leave it all on, there's there's how much parts. meat would you get off of a full grown hippo? 
Um, for the size of the animal, it's actually not as much really? uh, because a lot of it is skin. Um, I mean, the skin on a hippo is over an inch thick. Um, a lot of it is guts. A lot of it is big, heavy bones. Okay. So from a two-ton hippo, you're probably only going to get probably 800 pounds of, of actual meat. Oh, wow. Um, so same with elephants, although it's a huge, like a big animal. Yeah, yeah, your your actual meat off of those big animals is is a very small percentage compared to most of the antelope species. Are there uh, crocodile hunts? There are crocodile hunts um, in in a lot of your river systems and lake systems over there. How's the table uh, fare in a croc? Um, we eat alligator here, so yeah. yeah. Once again, with crocodile, your your farmed crocodile, where it's in a controlled environment, controlled food source. The meat is really good. Your wild hunted crocodiles that I've eaten have not been quite as good. Probably eating rotten hippos and yeah, everything else. Probably not so Where great. they are and what they eat and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it, it definitely has a lot stronger flavor than your than your farmed crocodiles. Uh, how about like some of your primates, like your baboons and stuff? Are there hunts for those as well? We do hunt baboons and, and monkeys over there. Um, I've eaten baboon before. It's it's not bad. It's so not they some is that bush meat? Is that what they refer yeah, to as yeah, bush meat? Bush meat, all all of that, all your antelope and, and baboons they call bush meat okay. over there and that. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's not something I'm gonna go out and, and pursue and that hunt as, weird. as table fear. I'd be fair, the first one to admit but that like But like because I have hunted them I have eaten be weird them. Because so. it looks too much like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be odd, but yeah. I'd probably try. I don't want to try anything once. Yeah. But people do so are there protected species? Like, are there things that just aren't, like, you, you can't? Well, pretty much all your antelope and, and elephant and buffalo and all of that are protected over there. Uh, they are protected. So everything has to go through a permitting system. Okay. So nothing is just open game there. Yeah, well, so yeah, everything I guess is that's, I, guess I worded controlled. that the wrong way. Um, species in South Africa that are not huntable are species like cheetah, um, African wild dog, um, and a few of the others. Um and then there's species that are huntable, but that are not exportable to certain countries. Like in South Africa, we hunt species like brown ahina, uh, but you're not allowed to import that into the USA. Got, right, you can sure. take it into Canada. You can take it into most of your European countries, <laughs> not but not the USA. <laughs> yeah, we got to figure out a way to get that reversed. I don't know mm. how that's going to happen. And but yeah, and, and what... What is, is countering the conservation of those species? It's a, a net loss. Well, as soon as you, you allow your citizens to import those trophies, you're contributing directly to the conservation of that individual species. You must yeah. know conservation of these species is important to no one more than us. Our entire livelihoods, our, our existence, our lifestyle is totally dependent on the conservation of these species. So there's, there's nobody that it's more important to than your hunters to ensure the survival yeah. of them. So who better to put the responsibility of the protection with as your hunters and allow your people to fund that? Yeah, I mean, if you're, uh, I guess we can, if, if your concern is increasing the numbers of wildlife in Africa, if, yeah. if, then do it the right way. Yeah, exactly. Get exactly. the facts on and, your side. And it's Just proven feeling, that it Feeling works. good about it, feeling good that you can't export rhino horn while the rhino is in danger. Just counterproductive. You've got to be honest with yourself, and you're not, it's not helping. Yeah. You've you're, you got to help. At least you don't have to do it, but at least be an ally of it. Definitely. Yeah. So 
Give everybody information. How can they get a hold of you? Um, you can get a hold of me through through my websites, hannaswanapulsafaris.co.za. Um, on, on Facebook, hannaswanapulsafaris on Facebook and, and various other ways. Uh, while I'm in the States, my contact number is 208-875-9322. You can contact me through that or or um, the best way is probably through websites and, and, and Facebook. Well, I'll try to get this uh, edited and put up tonight, yet released, so I can send you a link on your email and you can That'll be awesome, yeah. blast it out on your social media as much as you want or wherever you want. And uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'd go for another hour if I could, but... Yeah, yeah thank a, you for the opportunity to, to, to spread the word. We need to. It's, it's our responsibility to spread the word and get the correct information. And, and thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.